the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Michelle Tafoya podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, share it with your friends, like us, all the rest. Today, a serious topic on which I have many questions, and I think most of you do as well. It's Israel. It's Hamas. It's Palestine. This whole relationship, the history of it, basic questions. So we go to Jonathan Tobin for answers. He is our guest next. It's time for the Michelle Tafoya podcast. So many of you have probably read Jonathan Tobin. He is the editor-in-chief of the Jewish News Syndicate, and he writes a lot about Israel, about terrorism, about the history of Israel, about this people that wants to live peace of, peacefully. Uh, you may have seen his work in the New York Post, in Newsweek. It's, it's widely distributed. He's a wealth of knowledge and someone who I feel can answer a lot of our questions, because I don't believe I'm the only one with questions right now about the the, the narrative surrounding all the the violence, the atrocities, this back and forth that we're seeing right now in Gaza, in Israel, in the West Bank, all of what's going on. I, I hope this will bring some clarity to some of you at a time when we really need it. But first, are you one of those millions of Americans who is losing your hair? Now, look, you can deal with premature hair loss. You can say, oh, gosh, it runs in my family. I know I'm going to have a problem. Um, finally, there is a real solution, and it delivers on its promise without the harsh side effects, unwanted chemicals, and unpleasant smells. And it's thanks to our friends at GenuCell Skincare, Provia uses a safe natural ingredient, Procapil, to effectively target the three main causes of premature hair thinning and loss. By supporting healthy scalp circulation, the delivery of nourishing nutrients, and healthy hair follicle anchoring to your scalp, Provia guarantees more hair on your head than in the shower or on your comb. It's effective for men and women of any age, safe on colored, treated, and styled hair. It's really that simple. And right now, new customers save over 50% off Provia's introductory package at proviahair.com slash Michelle. Every package includes a full 60-day supply of Provia serum for daily use, plus Provia 30 Super Concentrate for faster more noticeable results. Provia works guaranteed or 100% of your money back. See results for yourself right now. Don't wait. Proviahair.com slash Michelle. It's P-R-O-V-I-A hair, all one term, dot com slash Michelle with one L. Proviahair.com slash M-I-C-H-E-L-E. Jonathan Tobin, a noted columnist on so many things regarding Israel is going to share his wealth of knowledge and answer some pretty basic and pretty deep questions with us. He is next. Jonathan, I'm so grateful to have you with us at this moment in history. I, I would talk to you any day of the week, given your, your knowledge, your, your perspective, but this is such an important time and actually, it's very scary. And I, I guess I'll start with this, because to me, 
this is kind of an example. The, the, the explosion at the hospital, which took place about within the last 24 hours, to me, exemplified the propaganda that is going in both directions. So immediately it was put out by Hamas that Israel had shot this rocket into a hospital, killing 500, over 500 people, which they seemed to know that count very quickly. And I thought, huh. And it's something just struck me about it. We have seen through IDF evidence and so forth, a phone call, a video, that this appears to be uh, Islamic jihadists firing a missile and it exploded over this hospital and maybe even landed in the parking lot rather than the building itself. What did you make of this whole episode and the way that people responded so quickly to point the finger at Israel and 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 then all of the back and forth. And so now one knows now people don't know whom to trust. Yeah, well, first, Michelle, thanks so much for having me on. It's a great opportunity to to um, to meet you and to, to have this conversation. And it is very timely. As that unfolded, I, I immediately thought this is like a metaphor for the entire discussion of the conflict between Israel and Hamas. I mean, in a sense, you know, for those of us who follow the, you know, who report about comment, you know, we've seen, you know, we, we've seen this movie before. It's, it's happened a lot before, but this was so immediate. It was the, the, the rush to embrace the narrative uh, just spoke volumes. Now, of course, immediately the fact that, you know, a couple of things. First, the announcement of 500 casualties and the hospital. Remember, this is Hamas. This is, the, you know, the health ministry in Gaza is not some nonprofit, uh, non-political organization. It's a Hamas outlet. So they gear their, as we've seen many times, they um, exaggerate their own casualty figures. They, you know, and, and they cover up often the fact that most of the, you know, many of the casualties are caused by fire from within Gaza. Mm -hmm. We also know that, you know, and, and the IDF has been able to document it because they have the satellite footage in all of these various conflicts, the various flare-ups over the years, that, you know, anywhere from 10 to 20% of the rockets that are fired from Gaza at Israel, which are not targeted at, you know, military bases or Israel's Iron Dome batteries. They're just aimed at Israeli villages, towns, and cities. You know, they're just trying to cause casualties. Um, whereas Israel does try to target Israeli, you know, Hamas military facilities. But the thing is, they're, they're not that well made. Um, some of it is Iranian, some of it's homemade. And they often fall short, but that serves Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad's purposes too, because their goal is to ramp up Palestinian casualties. Mm -hmm. You know, it's sort of like first principles here. What is Hamas's goal? What is Islamic Jihad's goal? It's not to better the lives of the, of the people of Gaza. It's to destroy Israel and kill as many Jewish people as possible. They're not interested in changing Israel's policies, adjusting its borders, you know, a two-state solution, some other kind of solution. Their only solution is no Israel, no Jews. And everything follows from that. And that's how the only way to understand, you know, the unbelievable atrocities that took place last week. You know, 1,400 dead, you know, thousands wounded, approximately 200 people kidnapped. But that, that just, those are just numbers. I mean, as we see the evidence of the just 
horrific nature of some of these crimes of people burned, the raping, the you know, the mass slaughter at a music festival. You know, anytime we have a mass shooting in this country, everybody's hair is on fire, understandably, because these are terrible things. But this was not just some lone lunatic, you know, acting out fantasies. This was an organized military operation uh, aimed at causing pain. And, you know, it, it was, you know, you know, Godwin's law, the, the idea that, you know, you never graze the Holocaust, you know, no Holocaust analogies. And I'm often one who sort of enforces that rule. But when you have the largest mass slaughter of Jews since the Holocaust, yeah. how can you not? And, and these awful crimes that are just oh. deliberately cruel, how can you think about it except in that context by people whose only goal is to kill Jews? So, you know, the whole discussion and, and the reason why. Let's, let's get to the fact why so many in the corporate mainstream media, you know, just jumped on this narrative as they so often do to say, ah, Israel is at fault. And the truth is many in Israel are, you know, their initial reaction is, oh my God, did we do something wrong? Let's, right, let's right. you know, did, did somebody yeah. make a mistake? Like yeah. there isn't an issue, you know, the, it's not the, you know, from the IDF, it's not, not the instant denial. It's like, oh my gosh, maybe we, you know, did right. some idiot do something wrong? Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. That's what I noted yesterday when and I saw an interview with with the spokesman for Benjamin Netanyahu, who almost immediately after this happened said, we don't aim at hospitals. They are never our targets. We need to do investigating. He didn't come out and say, no, yeah. no, no, it wasn't us. There wasn't an immediate denial. It was as though we're going to look at this. We're going to investigate, uh, and which they did. And now we've seen some proof that some people just don't want to believe. And and here's here's where I get very confused. <laughs> um, and we've seen all of these outbursts of protests all over America, all over the world. But here in America, people celebrating, professors at Cornell and Harvard celebrating the, the murders, glory to the murders. It was exhilarating and energizing. This is sick to me. What, what accounts for this? Well, I think there is there are a number of dynamics at, at place here, and, and I'll try to unwrap them as as you know with as much brevity as I can. I think certainly ever since the Holocaust, when for a time anti-Semitism became very unfashionable and you know, sort of in bad taste among you know educated nice people, but that was compensated for you know by a lot of people being willing to jump on any narrative who says, well, the Jews aren't so great either. You know, it's sort of like they had to prove that Israel was somehow bad 
And that lessened the guilt for the Holocaust, lessened the uniqueness of the Holocaust, um, which is why one of the surefire signs of anti-Semitism is comparing Israel to the Nazis, which is insane. Um, and, you know, that's what we see it. There is a need to demonize Israel. When you're speaking of, you know, sort of the far left on college campuses, you know, the, the demonstrations in the streets of New York and other and other cities, you know, what went on at Harvard, what on, went on at Columbia, where I went to school a while ago, um, you know, that is in part based on something that we talk about a lot, that we've been debating a lot about in, in you know, sort of American politics. And that's this whole idea of critical race theory and intersectionality. It's not just, you know, which relates to so many other things, because if in that worldview, if you divide the world up, you know, into racial, you know, a group, racial ethnic groups, which are solely defined as victims and oppressors, you know, you're one or the other, you, you know, you're a victim or you've got privilege. And in the ideology of, you know, sort of, you know, the CRT thinking and all the, the whole Imbram X. Kendi and the rest of the, you know, uh, you know, a snake oil salesmen that peddle this uh, toxic garbage. Um, Israel and the Jews have white privilege and they're an oppressor state of people of color. Now, that's nuts um, for a lot of reasons. Number one, the majority of Israeli Jews are, by the definitions of the, of the uh, American left, people of color because they trace their origins to uh, North Africa and the Middle East. Mm -hmm. um, it's also false because the Jews are the indigenous people of the land of Israel. <laughs> you know, they belong there. There's thousands of years of history. Mm -hmm. Jews aren't colonizers in Israel. Um, you know, it's their, it, it's, it's their country. They've always been willing to share it, but they have a place there. They're not like, you know, uh, Europeans, or, you know, French or, 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 you know, Englishmen settling some far off place in Africa or, or Asia. This is the Jewish homeland. But there is this desire to fit it into this narrative of oppression and victimhood. Yeah. And um, somehow, the you know, the, the hard left in this country has embraced that. It's demonized it um, to the point where even you have, you know, sort of in this intersectional, you know, lunacy, you have, you know, get, you know, groups, LBGTQ groups, you know, identifying with the cause of Hamas and the Palestinians and saying that Israel is is evil, you know, is an evil oppressor, um, when in fact, you know, if you're gay in Gaza, you get thrown off the roof. Yeah. You know, it's illegal. Yeah. It's you know, Israel's Israel's a free country. You know, people have, you know, uh, it is it is a magnet for the gay community in the Middle East. Um, yeah. So there is a willingness to believe that Israel must be bad in order to assuage, you know, sort of the guilt for, for the past and of anti-Semitism, to damp down any discussion of anti-Semitism, to flip it to a narrative about Islamophobia. Um, so, so it all plays into it. But I, if I can just, you know, pivot a, a moment. Yes. As angry as I am about those demonstrations, about the stuff going on on elite campuses, and that's something to be angry about, I am actually much more concerned by sort of the decent liberal opinion of sort of, uh, you know, sort of people who are not cheering for Hamas, who don't justify murder, but then they are so quick in with the same breath to claim that Israel's attempts to defend itself are the same as Hamas war crimes yeah. and crimes against humanity. This moral equivalence, 
which is dominating, you know, so if you read the New York Times and the Washington Post, you know, you watch MSNBC and CNN, that's the dominant narrative. Well, you know, yes, Hamas is bad, but Israel's bad too. No, there is a difference. We need moral clarity. There is, you know, people have a right to defend themselves. Yes. They have a right to go after murderers. Yes. And, and if you treat that, that action of defending their own people, going after these genocidal organizations as morally equivalent to deliberate attempts to slaughter people, you have no moral compass. Yeah, it's 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 astonishing to me, frankly. And then there's this question of proportionality. They like to use this word. Well, let's keep the response proportional. You know, sadly, um, <laughs> I mean, if we're talking about proportionality, how do you figure that? Do, or do we get a couple of accountants together and say, well, this one woman who had her baby carved out of her belly, uh, she's still only one woman. The baby doesn't count. I, where do you, what is this proportionality thing? And to, again, it just, it just seems like if you're just proportional, well, we can just go back and forth forever. Yeah, th this isn't. This is not a serious argument. Yeah, it's um, what would proportionality be? Uh, that Israel would seek to slaughter the same number of Palestinians, right. men, women, and children, and commit horrible crimes and kidnap people, kidnap babies. Israel doesn't want to do that. Israel has no interest in committing crimes against you know, you know civilians. Israel wants to get at the murderers, the people Hamas. who you know unfortunately claim to represent the Palestinian civil, you know, population in Gaza and unfortunately have, you know, as I'll just, you know, I'm not a big fan of President Biden. I, I criticize his policies often. I think his policies in the Middle East have actually helped contribute to the current mess. But his statements, you know, the last 10 days have been exemplary, just as his speech this morning was in yeah. many ways exemplary. Um, you know, I, I praise it un unreservedly. But one of the, the tropes that he cannot resist um, is this idea that Hamas has nothing to do with the Palestinian people. Now, I hold no grudge against the Palestinian people. I don't want anybody to get killed. I'm not cheering for anybody to get killed. I think all deaths are to be mourned. But let's be honest about this. Hamas is in power in Gaza. It has, it has run Gaza as an independent Palestinian state in all but name for 16 years. And it got there because it has broad popular support. It won an election, um, you know, in the West Bank, Judea and Samaria. There hasn't been an election among the Palestinian population since 2005. Mahmoud right. Abbas, who's the president of the Palestinian Authority, is currently serving in the 19th year of the four-year term to which he was elected then. <laughs> and the reason why he hasn't, you know, it sounds funny, but it's true. Yeah. The reason why he hasn't held another election is that he's pretty certain that if he did hold another election, Hamas would beat him. So let's not, you know, jump to the conclusion that everybody, all, all ordinary Palestinians think what Hamas did is terrible. What Hamas did was cheered in the streets of Gaza. They, they only stopped cheering once, you know, Israel started firing back. Yeah. And, well, and, the fact, um, and the that fact doesn't that mean I want revenge. Israel doesn't want revenge. But let's not pretend that Hamas doesn't have broad popular support. And the fact that, again, you had Palestinians all across the world cheering this on. So to suggest that this wasn't popular within uh, the Palestinian community, I think, is 
is belied by the pictures that we're seeing and the chants that we're hearing. And it is, it is quite frankly, it's, it's terrifying. Um, let's get to this notion of, there are a couple things that, that I think well-meaning people might misunderstand. The first one is, and I heard this immediately, oh gosh, Israel has the right to defend itself. This is horrible, but I understand the Palestinian plight. Their land was taken over. They were pushed out of their land. To someone who believes that, you would say what? I would say, listen, um, there has been a conflict for the last hundred years over this tiny piece of land, which you know means so much to so many people around the world because of our faiths. And it's true that you know there were several hundred Palestinian refu- thousand refugees created by the 1948 Israel War of Independence. Most of them fled on their own because they were afraid of what would befall them if they wound up um, inside the Jewish state. Um, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of the, the great American, 19th century American humorist Ambrose Bierce, who defined the word massacre as when the enemy does to you what you wanted to do to them. And it was fear that the Jews would do to them what they perhaps wanted to do to the Jews that motivated those, those refugees. And that's a tragedy. I, I might also add that at the same time that several hundred thousand Pal- you know, Palestinian Arabs fled their homes in what is now Israel, um, several, almost an equal or greater number of Jews who lived in Arab and Muslim countries in the Middle East were thrown out of their homes and were forced to flee for their lives. Um, But unlike the Palestinians, they have not been kept in refugee camps for 75 years as political props to use to beat, you know, the opponents, uh, you know, as as the Palestinians have been used. Those people were resettled in Israel, the United States, elsewhere. Um, That's what happened in the wake of World War II. You know, there were millions of refugees in Europe. There were millions of refugees in India, elsewhere. The only refugees in the world that were created in in the conflicts of the 1940s. This is, you know, I know it's it's history, and you know, to j- most journalists, let alone most people, you know, history is what happened yesterday. Ancient history is what happened the day before yesterday. But you know, if we're going to talk about this, you have to know that of all the refugee populations created in the 1940s, there is only one that was not resettled. There was only one that was kept. In camps, John, and that was the frozen? Palestinians. You know, there's UN has two refugee agencies: one for everybody else in the world, and one for the Palestinians. And the one for the Palestinians just basically is there to keep them, to not resettle them, to have them, you know, be used as a weapon. Let's also the other important point John, here is, can you hear Michelle? is that you know President Biden this morning again talked about the need for a two-state solution, which in theory is the most rational way to end the conflict of two peoples over this one land. But the problem is, is that in 1948, as well as elsewhere, you know, as well as many times since, the Jews accepted a compromise in which there would be a Jewish state and an Arab state. In 2000, Yasser Arafat was, you know, that that was offered to, to the Arabs in 1947. They said, no, we don't want two states. We just want no Jewish state. Yasser Arafat said, no, we don't, you know, he was offered a state in all the West Bank, almost all the West Bank, Gaza, and part of Jerusalem. He said no. He repeatedly, he said no again in 2001. Abbas said no in 2008 for the same, for the same reason. So the idea that, you know, the Palestinians have been kept down and don't have independence and statehood because the, the Jews don't want to compromise or because they stole their land is false. 
they could have had a state at any point over the over the last several decades, but they continue to refuse because accepting a state alongside Israel means recognizing the legitimacy of a Jewish state, no matter where its borders would be drawn. And that is something their political culture does not allow them to do. Their political identity is, alas, inextricably tied up with this war against the Jews. And until they get rid of that, you know, the, the conflict will continue. Well, our conversation with Jonathan Tobin is going to continue with part two of this interview that will air tomorrow. Thanks for listening. He gives a lot of perspective that can make you think, can make you hopeful, can also just be a wake-up call, but we need it right now. So be brave, do good, and we'll pick up with Jonathan Tobin tomorrow. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.